Welcome to Shovel Talk, a podcast for economic developers. From your friends at the Golden Shovel Agency. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Shovel Talk. Before we dive in and introduce our guest, uh, Bethany went on a little trip with her seven kids. And uh, I want to hear about that little trip to New York and Philly. Tell us about uh, how that was. Well, we had spring break and we decided to do a staycation. For those who don't know, our family is living in Maryland and we wanted to explore the East Coast a little bit. And right now, because of you know COVID, things are starting to open up, but there's not a lot of tourism. So it's actually a really good time to explore. So we decided to brave it and take the seven kids to... New York City, take them to Manhattan. Obviously, we were all wearing masks, um, but we had not taken all the kids before because, as one might imagine, taking seven kids to Manhattan has the potential for being a little bit stressful. Um, for those who don't know, our youngest is three, our oldest is 16, so they definitely run the gamut. But we had an awesome time. Uh, my husband drove a f- 15 passenger van with all of us because we didn't want to take the subway because of COVID. We didn't want to be in those confined spaces. And he he definitely is a trooper because the van was too big even for the parking garages. So we had to like, we went to Times Square. We tried to get into a parking garage and they shoved us out. So we had to back up all the way out of that parking garage into like a very busy Manhattan street with me like standing behind the van trying to like block the cabs from running into us at the same time. And you guys so, were married after this. Yeah, no, my husband's awesome. He's he was totally cool with it. Uh, but no, it was so much fun. We actually, we went and ate in Little Italy, which we love Little Italy. Um, you know, again, first time actually taking the kids. We were the only family in the restaurant. They were so nice. And I think just really happy to have people actually there eating. Um, and we just had a great time walked around quite a bit. Um, and then we were also able to be on the Jersey side where we could kind of see the, the Statue of Liberty and get the whole views for the family. And the park was very beautiful. And then we also, as you mentioned, um, took the kids to Philly and walked around all the historic places, which was awesome. Again, there was literally like nobody there. So you could walk right up to like Carpenter's Hall as an example and talk to the kids about the history. And we weren't able to tour things, but fortunately, we're enough history geeks ourselves where we could actually provide that information to the kids, um, ate some Philly cheese steaks out on a sidewalk. So it was awesome. It was a great time. I definitely recommend people to safely get back out there. Cause again, with outdoor dining and wearing a mask, you know, we felt pretty safe the entire time. That's awesome. So New York is on my list. It's actually what I'm considering doing fairly soon. So I'm curious, how, like with the restrictions, what was that, that was like, as far as going out to eat somewhere, you know, what measures did they have in place, that kind of thing? Yeah. So it was really interesting because in New York, uh, it was fantastic. Restaurants have gotten really creative and they've taken over the streets in front of the restaurant. So I guess what I would imagine to be two lanes of cars or maybe a lane in parking normally uh, was one lane. Plus, if you can imagine kind of like these little, um, I wouldn't call them shacks, but they're these temporary structures that restaurants have built in front of 
their place of business. And it's awesome because they're, they're very unique and very different. Like you walk by some where they've created these individual dining pods, so to speak with comfortable benches and tables and even flowers that are inside. So it's like you're dining in your own individual outdoor alcove for a lot of these restaurants. So you're not exposed to anybody. You're in a really cool, intimate space where you could eat with friends and family and you get the experience of, of having fantastic food without any of the COVID risk. For other restaurants, like where we ate at, they have plexiglass barriers in between each of the tables, even if they are in an outdoor space. So again, you know, they've taken a lot of precautions in the city to keep people safe and still allow them to have that dining experience. So I highly encourage people to go and check it out. I mean, like, I can't imagine you being any more safe than being in your own pod (laughs) on the street, dining from fantastic chefs. So do it. Awesome. Very cool. All right. Well, we have an exciting couple of guests for you today, Molly and Tom LaFleche, owner of Brunson's Pub. They're in the Minneapolis-St. Paul area. I'm going to let them introduce themselves momentarily, but we're very excited to have them here today because as the economic development community, we talk quite a bit about how to help our small businesses and especially right now, our main streets to thrive. In the wake of COVID-19, we know that small business owners have definitely faced um, unprecedented challenges. And as we look at ways to strengthen them, because they are such an important aspect of our community, it's important to hear from those businesses themselves. Molly and Tom not only own a Main Street business, but they're also actively involved in supporting the small business community. So their perspective, I think, is unique, and, and I'm really looking forward to hearing their thoughts and insights. Um, in addition, we have our Main Street webinar that has fantastic information from several guest speakers. So if you missed that, be sure to listen to the recording as well, uh, where you can hear from people across the country as they share their insights and solutions for how we can help businesses like Brunson's Pub to be even more successful. So Molly and Tom, would you mind introducing yourselves and saying hello? Uh, hi, I'm Tom LaFleche. I own a pub on Payne Avenue in St. Paul called Brunson's. We've been open for four years and it's, uh, it's always a challenge and a blast. And I'm Molly LaFleche and I am a financial advisor and also help Thomas run the pub a little bit. And we're involved in the local area, mainly the Payne Arcade Business Association. And I'm currently serving as the president of that organization. So we keep busy. So can you tell us a little bit about, uh, about the history of Payne Avenue? Payne Avenue, we believe, is the, an area that a lot of uh, migrants came to in the 1800s and 1900s. Uh, there's different pockets of, uh, of different cultures in the neighborhood, whether an area be uh, Swedish or Polish or Italian or Irish. So Payne Avenue has this history of, of people coming over from uh, different countries and settling here and working. And it's always been kind of a blue collar neighborhood for a long time. Industry was huge. So uh, Ham's Brewery uh, was there. That's where the majority of their production was out of, uh, off of Payne Avenue. Whirlpool was there manufacturing appliances. 3M was there. So a lot of uh, big, uh, big places where uh, there's a lot of probably blue collar jobs, which lent itself to a lot of uh, bars and uh, saloons on Payne Avenue. So we picked up one of those and, and opened it back up and uh, are trying to 
you know, to serve some some good food on Payne Avenue still. So Payne Avenue, it kind of took a little bit of a hit once all those industries kind of took off, left. So Ham's closed up. Uh, 3M moved their production out to Maplewood. Whirlpool also moved. So the neighborhood kind of went through a, a dip of not a lot of jobs and, and it got a little tougher, I would assume, and a little poorer during mm-hmm. that time. So, but now we're we're hoping it kind of gets back going. So, and it's always remained that that place where people come. You know, back back way in the day, it was the you know Irish and German and, and whatnot. Now there's a lot of Latino culture there, a lot of African American, East African. Just it, so it's it's remained that really eclectic kind of just you know melting pot place, which is really really cool. And I think the restaurant scene has always kind of reflected that, even as it's changed throughout the years. Yeah, we're no uh, Payne Avenue historians by any means, but we know that uh, you know there's a, lot, there's a lot of pride on Payne Avenue. A lot of people really have a connection to it, whether they grew up there or they remember going to the bakery and the bank and the market or getting their dad out of the bar because he had to come home for dinner. Uh, there, there seems to be a lot of people that really, really uh, enjoy it. So and have, we have, we hear a lot of great stories of the history of Payne Avenue in general. And, and our former bar was called Schweitz's back in the day. So we hear a lot of Schweitz's stories. So you can just still feel that pride kind of all throughout the, the area and the neighborhood. We know you wanted to change the name, but why did you choose Brunson's Pub for your new name? Benjamin Brunson was a land surveyor. And he lived right um, right around the area, right on, on his house is still standing. It's the oldest brick house still standing in St. Paul, supposedly on Brunson Street. And so he lived in the area. He was buddies with um, James J. Hill and Alexander Ramsey and all that. But he was responsible for kind of platting out, you know, a lot of St. Paul, Minneapolis, the different streets and whatnot. And so... We assumed he frequented the the saloons and the spots along Payne Avenue after his workday. And as we were doing some research on the history of the area and whatnot, that was just one of the, you know, Benjamin Brunson. We, he's famous, but not at all, right? We all, a lot of people know James J. Hill and Ramsey, but I hadn't heard of, I hadn't heard of Benjamin Brunson at all. So we just, it, it kind of had a ring to it. It had a ring to it. Brunson, you know, Brunson's Pub. You know, as we looked at bar and grill, tavern, saloon, pub, the meaning of the word pub had is it was important to us. You know, we wanted it to be that public house that's open to all. So Brunson's and pub, Br- it had the neighborhood uh, tied to it. It had the St. Paul history to it. So. Yep. So yeah, it's still it's tied to the to everything. Yep. So there's a chance that he would have been the one who planned uh, Payne Avenue then anyway, right? Yeah. Definitely. I mean, he's, I know a buddy of ours owned a duplex about a few blocks away and there was a, a property line dispute between them with a retaining wall and they pulled up the property records and Benjamin Brunson signed off on it. So nice. So he's yeah. kind of like that quiet guy that was just everywhere. Definitely would have been a fixture at the pub. We think so. Exactly. Cool. And he's part of our logo now. It might not actually be him, but our logo is an image of a a man with a beard looking through a, a really old school land surveying piece of equipment. So that's where the, the logo kind of comes from. That's cool. And if I remember correctly, you both have some personal history with the pub as well, right? Yeah, um, uh, me a little bit more so. So I grew up just blocks down the street from where the pub's located. And our family was friends with the Schweitzes. So I was a little kid running around Schweitz's bar, you know, young when I shouldn't have been probably, but it was, it's kind of where I grew up. And so um, I didn't, I didn't, I kind of moved away, 
So I never went to school there, but all of my cousins did and um, my parents and all of my family. So I have a lot of family ties to that neighborhood. And it was very, I don't know, nostalgic or whatnot. When, when we were looking for a bar, we were looking all over St. Paul. And then this, this one kind of came up and we just felt like it was somehow meant to be that this was the place that we were going to open our, our bar. Well, yeah, I mean, even for her family, I mean, her uncle tended bar at at the bar that we own now back in the oh, 70s wow. and 80s. And so, so did my stepmom. And your stepmom and your dad. Would, my dad. Her dad would pull shifts when it got real busy once in a while, too. So right. there's, you know, they were, I mean, they really were there all the time. And, you know, I think, you know, we own a pub and it was a saloon before, but I think regardless, it's about, it's a place of community and and people getting together and whatnot. And that's what, that's what it was for her family. And that's what we're trying to make it for a lot of other people's families now, too. So, And that's part of why we have the name Brunson's Pub, the word pub being in it has some meaning to it. I don't know if you're familiar with the history of a public house or not, but that's where it comes from. Public houses are open to all to serve everybody. So that's kind of what we wanted, wanted our place to be as well. And I don't have um, a uh, history even close to what my Molly's family history is with the pub. So it's uh, just, uh, I just knew that it was really, it was a, a place that was near to the Murphy's heart. So um, it, I think it just felt that much better to go in there. Mm-hmm. So the pub actually, if if I remember correctly, dates back to prohibition time. Is there, is there anything you can share about that? I found that very interesting. For what I understand, um, one of the Schweitzes worked for Theo Ham, who owned Ham's Brewery. And then hams and the different breweries would stake the bars and they'd build the bars for them and make, and then you had to pour their beer on tap. And I'm assuming that was probably the only beer you poured on tap back in like the 1900s and whatnot. So from what the, the story that we've heard, the oral history that we've heard from some of the Schweitz family, and they do like to drink beer, <laughs> is that uh, the, the bar they had up, they had Schweitz's opened up on Arcade Street in the early 1900s and was around until Prohibition happened. And this is what a story I've heard, actually. So they had a soda fountain. They turned the bar into a soda fountain. And then the family also owned a bait shop across the street because Lake Phelan is not too far from where that would have been. And they stored the booze in false bottoms underneath the fish tanks. And then they would bring it over to the soda fountain place. And then they would they had a, a fake back on a fish tank over there. And they'd pour the booze from back there to serve their customers and whatnot. And so they had a speakeasy going on on Arcade Street that was Schweitz's that turned into a soda fountain. And, you know, I'm not sure if this is true or not, but when we first opened up Brunson's Pub, I had a lady come in and she kind of, she kind of cornered me and she's like, do you own this place? And I said, yeah. And she, and she was had to have been in her seventies. And she said, well, my, my grandpa tended bar for the Schweitzes back in the day. And I said, really? She said, yeah. I go, well, was it before prohibition or after prohibition? She said, well, before and during. And I go, really? How do you know that for sure? And she said, well, he did six months in the clink for serving, serving alcohol <laughs> and, they, and they got caught. They got in trouble. They got caught. So, so that's, that was the origination of it. And then I believe what ended up happening was that they opened up Schweitz's Saloon on our on pain after prohibition was uh, over when it was legal to have a bar and restaurant again. So, you know, mid like 1933, 34 is when Schweitz's first had opened back up on Payne Avenue. And it was, it was the namesake was Schweitz's until 2017 when we took it over. It had gone through uh, a, like four different owners in the 90s and 2000s. So that was the reason we wanted to change the name. We just it had been through too many different hands and had too many different identities. And we wanted we wanted a new identity with with paying homage to them, though. You know, we have a Schweitz burger on the menu. We've got some old Schweitz paraphernalia um, and stuff on the walls. So, uh, you know, it wasn't like we wanted to get rid of the identity. We just needed a, a fresh identity with it. So, so I know it's been a couple of years. What do you like best about owning a Main Street business? 
the best that we own? I don't know. Or maybe your top five best. I mean, I think that, you know, with Molly being the president of Pava and then us owning a bar and restaurant that um, is pretty uh, easy. It's welcoming and it's not it's not pretentious. We, we do some some good prices on deals and whatnot for food and drinks. So people want to come in there. So I think like we talked about the camaraderie and meeting different people and being able to, you know, to impact people in a positive way, you know, whether it be just because they're having a good time or we're helping them. You know, they're out like, you know, the restaurant down the street, you know, he's out of a cleaning product or he's out of a food product and we're and we're borrowing that to him or they're borrowing it to us. And the camaraderie has been really awesome. I mean, you know, we wouldn't be doing this if it wasn't for Brunson's and meeting Darren, obviously. Right. So, I mean, there's just like every all the relationships and the connections, I think, are the, the most enjoyable for us and serving food and drinks, just a way to get to meet people. I mean, it's, you know, it's just one of those things everyone has to do. It's been nice to, been awesome to get to know people and to work with people and to to learn about people. And yeah, and I think being on the main street, it's just you're just so in the community. And we're, I think, a little bit maybe lucky in that the east side has just that pride that we were kind of alluding to before. There's just so much camaraderie in the neighborhood and so much support for businesses and that longtime blue collar work ethic is just still there. And so people, you know, respect a business that's out there working hard to, to be there for the community. And they show that respect by going there and sharing the love and spreading the word. And so, you know, just the location and being on Main Street, but then us also putting ourselves into the community and being more involved. It just, it's good for business, but it's just good for like your soul too. It's just, it's part of why we wanted to open a bar is to be like hospitable to people, you know, and to make that community and, and make that gathering space. And so it's just, it's really special to do it on, on their main street type location because of just that, that close knit feeling that comes with it. Well, and I think too, like just, I mean, like we know we see Payne Avenue um, and it's our main street and we've got, and we've got a lot of pride in our, in our main street. And so what can you do to make it better? You know, so we've a lot of our meetings with the business association and whatnot are, are things that we can do to improve the avenue. So everyone has a chance to be more successful and it just looks better for the community. We were doing an adopt-a-block uh, program where we were trying to get business owners to clean up their, their block to make sure all the garbage was off and all the, and all the recycling was picked up and things like that. And so you just try to look at ways of, of how, can, how can we all be better, I guess, you know, in, in a cost-effective manner because none, uh, <laughs> none of us are rich, though. <laughs> So we heard that you do a lot to support local youth organizations. Tell us more about that. It's probably one of the big things that started this for us was being next door to Cookie Cart, uh, which is a local organization that was started in Minneapolis. And then they opened their, their another location right next to us. And that, org- that organization helps high school kids get job skills and, and learn how to make cookies. And so we, right out the gates, we started using their cookies and our, our recipes and our food. We did a fundraiser for them. One of our first years, we did a golf tournament fundraiser and they were the recipient of those proceeds. We just did another fundraiser at our place and they were the recipient of those proceeds. So that's kind of where I think it started and, and was maybe like the catalyst for, for us being pretty involved in the youth stuff. So we, we love Cookie Cart. We still partner with them to the day. And then it's kind of expanded from there. And you know more about what we more, you know, sponsor and what schools we're really more affiliated with. But Cookie Cart is, is a really cool youth organization right next door to us that we're very happy to kind of partner with in any way that we can. Yeah, I think it kind of lends like to what you were talking about earlier with being on a main, on a main street business. So we've had the chance to meet different people and, you know, they also look out for, look for help, whether it be gift cards for their silent auctions and, 
and things like that. And so when we first were opening up and we wanted to make a positive impact in the community and, and get to know our neighbors, people would come through and ask for donations for their fundraising and whatnot. Um, I kind of looked at it like this, the closer that they were to where we were, the more like the more likely we were to say yes, no matter what. Right. So it's like when I was getting letters and say it was uh, a school in Eden Prairie that um, is like, you know, 15, 20 miles away from where we are, I was less apt to so yeah, yeah, we'll give you a, you know a gift card or whatever. But anyone close by, it was you know the the more we could do, the better you know. So cookie card is one that she talked about. Um, we're Catalyst um, is a high school music organization that's going to be opening up Kitty Corner from us. So we've done a fundraiser with them. They're trying to get kids off of the street to play music mm-hmm. and give them a safe space to be in, and they provide them uh, a, a, an area to do shows and to sell their own merchandise and. All these kind of cool things. So um, just also look, the neighborhood is tough. The neighborhood has its own its, its share fair of challenges. And we thought that the more that we can impact the youth, the better the neighborhood will be in the long term. So it's, it's more of like a long term investment as to hopefully how this would be better. So all the grade schools and, and high schools around, it's like we're always active in their fundraisers, whether it be just giving them gift cards or doing other cool different donations for them. We provide our venue for them too to do well. Back when you could gather, we would use our upstairs space for them to to put on their you know banquets and thank yous and family you know eat the pasta before the track meets and all all those types of things. Yeah, I mean every you know, it's, it's been kind of cool because we've gotten you know they they also are guests of Brunson's and enjoy it so that they want to be there too. But the East Side Wrestling Association, uh, this guy Matt and uh, his buddy Aaron. They train all these kids that are ages from like four to 14 in wrestling. And they've got a, like a woman's program too, or a girl's program. So they've got little, little five-year-old girls wrestling and whatnot. And so we sponsor them and then we do their end of the year banquet and whatnot and give them a really good price on the food to make sure everyone can eat affordably. There's a Johnson area hockey association that we always sponsor teams on and whatnot. There's a, a Parkway Little League baseball that we put our sponsorship over there as well. So it's just one of those things where all, and then they, a lot of them do do their banquets at Brunson's afterwards. And, I, and we try to give them as fair a price as we can to make sure that every, all the families can afford to, to go, to go to it and to enjoy some good food and whatnot. So, you know, a lot of the youth organizations around, and there's other ones that we also have helped out that aren't youth organizations as well, for sure. But yeah, one of the things we're, we're kind of proud of is in 2019 Christmas time, we did a a snowflake drive, a fundraiser where we engaged with the local schools and daycares and asked them to make snowflakes of any any sort. And so we got tons of snowflakes. We got snowflakes mailed from schools that we had never heard of because the word spread. So all of a sudden we had all these snowflakes and then we sold the snowflakes or, you know, you could sponsor a snowflake for, I forget if it was a dollar or five or whatever. Whatever you, doing, whatever you want whatever, to do. I didn't it was whatever it was. And all of that money... In 2019, we raised all this money for a, a family that we know that was being affected by a cancer diagnosis. It was that that family was so grateful and surprised and just just beyond words about uh, about that. And it was really really special, just like the community involvement and the warm fuzzies that it that it brought up. And that was 2019, and we didn't actually do it in 2020 because we weren't obvious reason. It was a little bit weird, right? Um, but we very much want to bring that back. So for, for this year, we will be doing that again. Um, and we anticipate that being an annual thing in memory, actually, of the first person that we did it for who unfortunately passed away. I'm not sure if you guys, like where you live or if you've seen this before, but a lot of bars would do like a shamrock. Yeah, they'd tape on the bar back bar and you put your name on there and it was a dollar or five dollars and the money went to an organization. Um, or like even the Vikings do like Vikings horns, the Minnesota Vikings. 
and that's for their youth organization. So we did snowflakes, and we just figured if all these different schools and kids cut snowflakes, they would all be different snowflakes, which like a snowflake is, you know, it had a different thing. So people got the chance to sponsor that by putting whatever money they wanted to, and then we, we would tape it and put it behind the bar. So our whole bar was decorated with snowflakes in the wintertime that were all different colors and shapes and sizes and stuff like that. So it was it was kind of cool, and all the and, money went to the family. And people wrote little messages to like the recipient, even if they didn't know them, you know, and it was just, it was really cool. Very special thing. That's awesome. And, you know, I have to interject and get on my soapbox momentarily, but you know, what you guys have talked about as far as your involvement in the community is exactly why we wanted to have you on for this podcast today, because you are representative of so many of our main street businesses throughout the country that are so actively involved in a critical part of our community, you know, from providing the point of gathering, as you mentioned, to bring people together so we can have relationships with our friends, our families, our neighbors, make those connections to your actual um, giving back, you know, with helping the local schools and organizations and even being a place for people to gather, you know, on that larger level with your banquet space. The point is that without pubs like yours, we miss out we miss out on those opportunities to be together. And it, it makes our communities better when we have small businesses like yours who are actually present in the community and involved in the day-to-day versus far away, you know, shareholders that maybe, you know, they, they don't know about that elementary school kid or that five-year-old wrestling girl who's kicking butt on the mat. They don't know about that because they're too far away. So thank you for sharing that. I think that's a really important takeaway for anyone listening. That's one of the reasons why it's so important for us to continue to support our small businesses. Yeah, we're not the only ones that we can point to on our avenue or in our area that are doing the same type of stuff with us. So I couldn't agree more. I I truly feel most entrepreneurs that are, you know, small business like this, they really do. They're they're there because they care and they want to make it better. So I've been looking at your menu and I wanted to talk a little bit about your food. Can you tell us uh, about your, your chef? And uh, I read that you, you know, you put out food of different cultures and techniques. I'm curious how you bring that together in one menu and, and a little bit of background on your, on your chef. Yeah. Torrance is, uh, he's awesome. And he has far ex- exceeded any expectation we had of him and, and what he brings to, to Brunson's in the community and whatnot. So he's, he's originally from Mississippi. He did some traveling and worked in some kitchens in North Carolina. He was in St. Thomas Virgin, British Virgin Islands. He was, uh, Minnesota, obviously he's from Mississippi. So he worked at some places in Mississippi, but yeah, he is really, really passionate and is very educated in, in, in the culinary world and the flavors. He's got a great palate. His flavors are amazing. And I met him, uh, working at a, at a bar I worked at for a long time, or I actually met Molly at the same bar. That's how we ended up together. So he worked across the street from from uh, where I was working at another restaurant, and they closed before we did. So he, I would always see him at the place I worked out after his shift, and I just loved his personality. He would come in and be very gregarious, and you know he was very like you know hugging people and giving them a good firm handshake and whatnot. And I liked that about him. And and he didn't really have free range of the kitchen there, but I knew that that the I mean they were a very very busy restaurant all the time. Their food their food was talked about all the time, and they. And so I knew that he had some skills and whatnot. And so we just talked about, you know, someday I'm going to open a bar up and, and it's going to happen. And he's like, well, someday I'm going to be the chef at that bar. Uh, <laughs> and then uh, someday came and it, and it worked out to the point where he, you know, he started off there and you never know it's a relationship. So you're not sure if it's going to work for the long haul or how long it might last, but you just hope that it's good when it does what it is there. And, and so four years in, it's still going really strong. And 
and we we love him and we you know we give him a you know he's got a lot of autonomy or I'm not sure if that's the right word yeah I think an original menu development was all of us were very involved we had some ideas of what we wanted on the menu and then he had some ideas of things that we wouldn't have even known or thought of that he wanted to bring to the menu and it all worked. I mean, everything he suggested we ate and was delicious. Everything that we kind of suggested or wanted, he probably delivered on it more than we expected, you know? And, and so he, we've very much given him like full autonomy to create the flavor profiles and things like that. We just, we all just collaborate too, though, in a very, it's a very positive collaborative way we approach our, our new ideas and our menu. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like for our, for our food on the menu and whatnot, he is from Mississippi. So there's, there are a few items that are a little uh, more Southern um, influenced in my opinion, but you know, we both, we collaborated on what we wanted to do for the the food and, it was very fun because it was like, I think we should do this. Yeah, what about this? And we would just throw ideas back and forth. And we were really cohesive with like our, what we figured would be the, the best thing as opposed to one person being like, well, I think it should be like this. And the other person, you know, like, I don't think it should be that way. We just, we really worked well together. Mm-hmm. So. And he's got a, an interesting personality in that he, he'll even say, he's like, I won't be offended if you don't really like my food. You know, he knows what's good and knows what he likes, but he knows that everybody's palate's different too. So um, he just has that, that really open-minded kind of approach to it, which is really helpful. And, you know, I haven't worked with a ton of chefs, but I, I know that they're not all like that, you know? So it was really just kind of a good personality fit. Cause that's kind of how we are too. But you know, we're, what's going to work. We don't, you know, our idea might not work. We're open to that changing and whatnot. So it just worked. We all just work really well together. Well, I tell you that, um, the fried chicken sandwich is that, that is what I think I would want to try on a pretzel bun. Oh man. Oh. <laughs> that, yeah. that sounds so good. And, um, and chef, will, chef will tell you, he's very proud of that particular recipe in terms of fried chicken. Really? That is, that is how they do it in the South. There's nothing, nothing extra oh, fancy. Man. That is just like, that's how it's done. So <laughs> you would awesome. want you to try that. <laughs> well, I'm sad that I live so far away. I, I think I might have to make Minnesota my next uh, place to live after I'm done here. Next <laughs> <laughs> Come soon. Summer's, yeah, summer's approaching. A little different of weather, that's for sure. <laughs> so do you guys, do you actually do source in your products locally? Can you tell me a little bit about that? We do. Yeah, we, uh, we definitely have a, a handful of purveyors that we get um, local produce from. Um, our honey is from a company called Bear Honey that's local. In the summertime, um, we're buying as many vegetables and whatnot that we can locally grown. So, and then like seasonings, our, local, some local uh, yeah, sauces sm- and seasonings and things like that. We kind of look for smaller people to partner with like us that, you know, that we can, you know, provide a good product for and whatnot, you know, and so we, and then again, our specials too, we'll incorporate a lot of different things that it's like, Hey, this person that we know has some scorpion peppers. So let's make uh, a Jamaican jerk sauce and do a jerk chicken sandwich or whatever, you know? So kind of like, Hey, what do you have? And we can kind of create from there. Uh, we do get a lot of our, we get some of our stuff food wise, some uh, locally and then spirits and, and beer uh, wise and soda wise too. We're buying local stuff. So Liftbridge is a beverage company that's, that's out of Stillwater, which is not too far from us. So we always have one of their beers on tap. They've got uh, all natural sugar cane sodas. So we've got a few of those sodas from them as well. A lot of the breweries um, that we have on tap are going to be from St. Paul or from Minneapolis or a surrounding suburb. Spirit-wise, uh, there's a few different local distilleries that we buy their products from and then showcase them on our, on our uh, cocktail menu and whatnot, too. So same idea is you get the big conglomerate company, which is not going to go away. That's going to have, you know, the best deals on the vodka, the best deals on, uh, you know, you name it. Then you get the local guy that's working really hard to provide uh, more something more artisanal and something that 
that they're proud of. And so we want to support them as much as we can. And speaking of spirits, you have a, also a very interesting drink menu. So I've, I've got to ask about this Moscow Mule on tap. I have never yeah. seen Moscow Mule on tap. Moscow Mule is my favorite drink. So can you can you tell me a little bit about about that, how, how it's on tap? On tap? Yeah, luckily, we've got uh, a lot of people that are local that are, are very, very smart. And uh, a friend of mine um, is a really, really uh, great uh, craft, like craft cocktail mixologist. And uh, we had seen it done before. So um, he helped us with the recipe. And we make a, we home make a ginger syrup. So we shred fresh ginger and uh, cook it down for over half an hour with sugar and water. Strain that. And then we make a, a citric and malic acid solution to give the cocktail like that tartness that you're used to from like maybe like some fresh lime juice in there or whatever. And then we put vodka in there and then Tattersall's who we mostly use. It's a local distillery um, and they make a bunch of different flavored cordials. So, and we put some of this blueberry liqueur and um, uh, cranberry liqueur in there. And so we put it all into a, like a little like a soda keg or a pony keg they're called. We shake it up. And then we have two different things downstairs. One line comes in and it actually carbonates the cocktail. So we have to let it sit on there for like 36 to 48 hours where it pressurizes the cocktail. So when it's served to you, it's got the fine little bubbles coming up um, of carbonation. And then the other line down there just makes the cocktail come up through the line into the tap system or whatever. So, so when you order a drink, all we have to do is literally pull a tap handle and you've got this kind of really cool, hard worked out cocktail that's just like in front of you in two seconds with a lime on it and sip. And so different flavors all the time. We've done like a vanilla cranberry. We've done uh, like watermelon. We've done just straight like blueberry. And we've got like probably rotation of like eight to 10 different ones that we're always just kind of playing with and, and doing different stuff with. So that's awesome. Very cool. Yeah. I love the flavored Moscow mules. That's, um, that's really cool. And the, yeah, I'm a big DC comics fan. So the green lantern drink yeah. <laughs> our listeners, if you're anywhere near these guys, you've got to go in and see their drink menu. <laughs> it's pretty cool. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I mean, I, I grew up behind the bar uh, in the restaurant industry, so the craft cocktail part of it is is uh, I think part of my creative expression of of the restaurant, and it's also really fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a foodie, what can I say? <laughs> no, it's great. Well, yeah, and I think I'm not, you know, just to touch base on on the chef and the food too. Like he, the Hop and John salad has been really talked about a lot in our restaurant. And that was something that I would never have ever dreamed of putting on a menu, but he really wanted to showcase it because it's from where he is. And uh, it's this really cool salad where the collard, typically collard greens are going to be braised for hours to cook them down to be edible. And our Hop and John salad is collard green based and the greens are raw when you order it. And uh, we saute that with rice and ter- cherry tomatoes and onions and uh, roasted corn um, and a black pepper vinaigrette. So the, the greens literally cook down for the, the 10 minutes before you get it. And it's such a cool, unique, hot salad. So there's, there's black eyed peas in there as and well. And our pulled bacon, our signature pulled bacon item. And we've, yeah, we do pulled bacon. So it's, uh, um, it's, and it's something that, that he had tried to get out of a few different menus at restaurants he had worked at and never had success. But with the pulled bacon and the vinaigrette that he did, when we ate it the first time, I'm like, that is just dynamite. And it was showcased as a top 10 dish in the Twin Cities the first year that we were open. And uh, it's something that I think that, like, you know, when so you're proud of something and you want to show something off, there's, there's that. It's there. It's doing well. But then for also to get recognition was was really cool. So that's like one of the little Southern flares that he puts on, uh, on the menu that um, was, you know, just kind of blew our socks off. It was just mm-hmm. such a cool thing. So Sounds delicious. It is. It is. It's super good. I did not even really know what collard greens were, nor did I think I would ever 
enjoy them. And uh, it's probably my favorite thing on the menu. Well, I love collard greens and I haven't tried them that way. So I'm down. There you go. Should be. Well, you guys, obviously you're very busy with the pub. Uh, we talked about your community involvement. And in addition to that, Molly, you're a financial planner. So with everything that you have going on, I guess, what has motivated you to get involved to such levels? You know, it's not exactly like you guys are sitting around on the couch watching TV with nothing to do. You got a lot going on. Yeah, I think, I mean, for, for me, I started my financial planning business like 16 years ago now, something like that. And right away, pretty much right away, I joined the St. Paul Chamber of Commerce, which is a big chamber. But I just felt at the time and still do that if you're going to be a business person, you should be involved in the business community of your community. So it just, to me, it just made sense. And, you know, meeting people is relationships. I mean, that's what it all comes down to at the end of the day. And what better place to meet other businesses than other, you know, a place that they're all hanging out at. So I was involved in the chamber and early on was involved in the young professional kind of arm of the chamber, which I think really just got me more comfortable with those types of things. You know, when you're, when it's, if it's, if it's a typical St. Paul chamber, it's, you know, there's a lot of 40, 50, 60 year olds, and I'm some 20 year old, you know, starting out in business. And it was just, um, it made it more comfortable, more approachable. It, it made me meet a lot of people and build a lot of relationships with people that were kind of just like-minded to me. And I, I think that's just always kind of remained and grown, you know, I'm no longer as involved in the chamber and I'm, I'm not, I'm probably, I think I'm too old for the, the young professionals anymore, but that's really morphed. And now I'm, I'm, you know, leading the pain arcade business association and, you know, sitting on the, the young professionals board at the chamber kind of got me, you know, ready to, to kind of hold that type of a position as well. So I think that's kind of where it started from. And then when, when we opened Brunson's, it was kind of a no brainer that we would be part of the Pain Arcade Business Association, partially because they helped us, you know, they welcomed us and helped us make connections in, oh, you got to know this person to help you with your, your signage or, you know, it just right away, we were kind of welcomed and greeted and it met our, kind of philosophy as well. So it was kind of just, I don't know if there's anything that motivated us, us to do it. It just seems like the right thing to do for us. And it kind of like there would be no other way to be a business owner in a community and, and not be involved. It just didn't seem to make sense to not be involved. And really, if you want to help make change, you have to be involved. And we know that too. And it does take work and we can't make change by sitting on our couch. So, and we're also just kind of doers and go-go people, I think a little bit too. So it just fits. No, that's really good. That's exactly what it is. I mean, we, we, we want to be, we're, we're doing it to not just be a business. We want to be a part of, of everything going on. Mm-hmm. And I think we have some motivation to help, you know, everybody do better, but specifically in our little pocket, as we alluded to it, you know, it was kind of the, the place to be and live and, and really bustling. And then when those businesses close, it kind of went downhill and it's just, it's trying to recover. Um, and we, if we can be a small help in that, we want to be. And if we just operated our business in our own little vacuum, wouldn't, we wouldn't feel like we're impacting really much of anything. Really? Yeah, the work you're doing is so important. And um, I mean, I'm just, I'm impressed. And uh, I think what you're doing is amazing. So my, my question for you then is, what can economic developers, city and county and state leaders do to support the work you're doing and support Main Street businesses like the ones on Payne Avenue? 
Oh, I think one thing that comes to mind specifically in St. Paul is, and maybe Minnesota in general, but I think St. Paul specifically is, is just kind of the, the lack of ease of doing business with licensing and, and I don't know, rules you have to follow and things, checklists you have to check off that, you know, there's just, there's a lot. It's, it's known to be not super business friendly and you know, some breweries, for example, are expanding into Wisconsin because it's a little bit more business friendly. So just frankly, changing some of the laws that seem to be a little bit outdated and things like that would help and streamlining, you know, licensing and how you actually get a business open, all that kind of stuff should be improved in a, um, in a, in a pretty significant way. That's the main thing that comes to my mind. I don't know. Being involved, going and and supporting the businesses, actually, you know, spending your money in those places uh, always helps too. I think that uh, it seems that like locally, uh, like the city council members in St. Paul um, and some county commissioners have been pretty supportive of Brunson's, like for our own personal experience, have been pretty supportive of like, hey, what's going on? How can we help? What do you need? You know, things like that. Um, so it's been pretty good. But at the end of the day, it just requires a lot of, you know, like for a new business person starting up, especially if they're an immigrant or they're maybe a non-English uh, as their first uh, language and whatnot. It just requires a, like a lot of hold, hand-holding and, and getting them to go. And I think they're trying to figure out ways to do that hand-holding without having to have someone be there to hold the hand. And it's tough, you know, I mean, it's you're trying to help someone get through this process of permits and inspections and and all that stuff. So um, I feel that like in St. Paul, there's a lot of people that really care about the community and that they want to help. And it's really good. I'm not sure. I know it's, it's hard to be critical of people that right. are working hard, but maybe just aren't always getting everything done. They want to, because it's just not enough hours in the day, you know? So, um, but I think that the people, they are, they, they are finding new programs to do, and there are different people helping and, and assisting the businesses in, in St. Mm-hmm. Paul. And it takes two, right? That if the business owner really, really wants to get it done, you just have to have that. It's almost like a rite of passage, right? Like to get your business open, you have to work so effing hard to get it going. Uh, and I need to work hard once it gets going. But that's like, you know, it's, it's like, you know, I'm not a person that's good at filling out paperwork and that's good at that type of stuff. I'm more of a, uh, I like things in front of me. I'm more like, let's build this together, right? Food in front of me, let's put this together. Let's do this right now, as opposed to me having to find my, you know, my employee number and mm-hmm. uh, in my resale. And and it's also know. abstract too, as you're, we're getting detailed, but as you're going through this, like you don't know what has to happen first, second, third, and you got to get this form signed by this person, but it relies on that form that needed to be, it's like the chicken or the egg thing. And it, it literally is like, you're running around in circles and that that's where I was kind of alluding to like the system is somewhere broken, but the people do care and are there. And, you know, at least on the very local level, we do feel the love from our city council and all that, but there's still that like you can care, but like the rules are the rules or the process is the process. And it's, it's some of those rules and processes that are very, very hard to navigate, even for people that do speak English or do, you know, so. Um, and we've seen like city leaders come through and they'll have, they'll, they'll do like a little restaurant crawl. They're going to four different restaurants out in the night. And so it's good. I mean, the, the, the intentions are there for sure. And we, and we've seen it and I'm not sure if every other business feels that same way that we do, but We've seen it and we, and we feel pretty fortunate to have been supported the way we've mm-hmm. been supported overall. So. Mm-hmm. so it sounds like you feel that there's definitely a supportive environment for businesses, but if there was anything that leaders could do to help things, it, might, it maybe would be to streamline the process and make it more clear as far as how to get everything 
started for your business and what steps to take. Am I, am I hearing that correctly? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And it's, uh, and it's not as much of even a critique because it's just, it, you know, there's a, the, the fine line between how much taxes can they get out of us to have the person that's down there to help you open up your business. You know, I mean, it's the money's got to come from somewhere, but yeah, I think it's, yeah. If city, if somebody went through the process, like a mock starting a business, like finding your space, renting at least like doing the fixing up to it, the, the codes, the grandfathering in of the laws. What I mean, if they actually like started, I mean, like mock it out and see what it takes and see all the back in the forest and how much, I mean, you have to go down to city hall for one thing where everything else could be done online or whatever, you know? So it just, it's, it's actually when you sit down to do this stuff is where it's kind of just, I don't want to say a mess, but it's hard. It sounds like we're probably more talking about starting up the business too. And I guess like, you know, continuing the business, I mean, doing different, like so they can support us through doing different events. And I know, I know right now in St. Paul, a point of contention is that uh, there's a lot of police required to be at different events and then you pay them an hourly wage and their hourly rates go like over doubling, I think like next year. So it'll be a lot harder for, you know, small businesses to create a community event because the cost will go up on that part of it alone too, you know? So figuring Mm -hmm. out a way to, you know, they're trying to figure out a way to not have to charge you that much money to have that, but there's still a necessary element that your event, Mm -hmm. you know, would be something that they could, that they could do. That's a great point. Yeah. We're trying to put on, you know, things like parades and just community events. And now we're, struggling to it's always a struggle but to know in this environment how much extra cost that's going to be and how much extra this or that it's it's that that's hard take away the unknowns yes as much as possible Okay, so we are going to go into our lightning questions game. So I have 10 questions for you guys. Uh, I am going to ask you them uh, and you just answer as fast as you can. And I think this will be the first time we do this with two people. So it's going to be, this will be fun. <laughs> so just... Um, are we competing with each other or what? Uh, you know, let's see who can answer first fast. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah. All right. What was the last book you read? That I finished? <laughs> or what you're currently love, reading. Love in the Time of Cholera. Ooh, I have that one on my list. <laughs> I have not read a book in a really long time. You're reading <laughs> a book right now, kind of. Okay, <laughs> what is that? Aren't you reading the Shoe Dog Millionaire or whatever? Yeah, that's like three years. Slum Shoe Dog? <laughs> anyway. Okay, I've been working on the book I'm on for, for quite a while. <laughs> <laughs> uh, favorite podcast? Right now, it's called, can I swear? It's called No Fucks Given. Oh, <laughs> Um, I love it. Sarah Knight. I love it. Just started in February this year. It's fantastic. Uh, I don't listen to podcasts. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. Thing, no, you're fine. You're fine. First thing you do in the morning. Work out, basically. Yeah, work out. Work out, for sure. Uh, what did you want to be when you grew up? A baseball player. Um, a marine biologist. Uh, favorite superhero and why? I'm not Batman was my favorite superhero growing up for sure. I think, I'm assuming I just loved all the toys that he had. You know, I mean, the guy could like he'd always catch himself falling from a hundred story building. He could catch himself with his uh, fancy toys. I mean, his cars were cool. <laughs> I didn't really do it growing up, but right now I'd have to go with uh, Mrs. Incredible, the Incredible mm-hmm. Wife. Good one. I thought for sure it was going to be Green Lantern. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what superpower would you want? Why? Well, good question. It's tough. I would say I want to read people's minds, but I don't really know if I want to read people's minds. <laughs> if I have the power to do it. <laughs> fly. I think I think fly, or to be to be able to go underwater for forever or whatever. You know, it'd be as well. It'd be a uh, fish. 
Right. <laughs> if you can live anywhere in the world for a year, where would you live? Costa Rica. <laughs> I I would probably say Spain on the Mediterranean coast. Uh, we love Barcelona, mm-hmm. but I also had my 21st birthday in Alicante, Spain, which is a smaller city. So I think just on the Mediterranean coast in Spain would be anywhere. Wouldn't really matter. I don't think I'd probably enjoy it. Uh, if you could have a meal with anyone in history, who would it be and why? Jimi Hendrix, because he's always just seemed so, I don't know why. That dude's just, uh, it, I'm not sure if it would go well or not. It could go really bad, but it would still be, it would still, it would still be entertaining in my opinion, depending on how, uh, how if he was, uh, you know, influenced in any ways. Mm-hmm. Oh, I don't know about this one. I feel like maybe Albert Einstein because I have so many questions. <laughs> right. Uh, favorite band or singer when you were a teenager? TLC. <laughs> Yes. As a don't go chasing waterfalls. Yep. <laughs> I guess I never thought about my favorite one in high school, what it would be, but it would probably be the Wu-Tang Clan because of how many albums they put out and how much I listen to them. So um, I listen to a lot of Dr. Dre as well. <laughs> uh, most embarrassing hairstyle or article of clothing from your childhood? You want a picture or what do you? <laughs> I mean, yes, but for the podcast, just for the podcast, <laughs> right? <laughs> but I guess the picture for sure later. <laughs> uh, my hair is very curly. In uh, in high school, I the school I went to, you couldn't your hair couldn't be uh, passed like over your ears or down uh, like under your collar of your shirt. So I had like a bunch of curly hair on the top, and then it was shaved on the sides. And it's uh, my senior picture, and it's it got I posted I put it on. Facebook a year ago and everyone was posting their senior pictures and it got like 600 likes for how uh, <laughs> for, for how unique the picture is <laughs> I can't really think I just would always wear really big earrings <laughs> like 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 touch your shoulder big earrings oh, wow. like yeah so just lots of earrings that's awesome well you guys are great sports thank you that was fun. <laughs> So Molly and Tom, it's been so great having you on the podcast today. Thank you so much for sharing uh, everything with us from your pub and your menu information to, to the work you do in the community. It's been absolutely inspirational having you here today. And, um, and thank you. Thank you. Thanks guys. for having us, you guys. We appreciate it. It's been fun. Well, thank you again, everyone, for listening today. And thank you to Tom and Molly for joining us on this podcast. It was a really fun discussion, and we do encourage everyone listening to spend some time this weekend going and supporting a local business in your own backyard. As for Brunson's, anyone who wants to learn more about them can visit Brunson'sPub.com. They are also on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Have a good day, everyone, and we look forward to hearing from you next time.